Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So Webster's Dictionary defines the word credentials. Gives an example. It says, a picture ID flashed to gain access. Credentials. In the military, um, especially overseas, you learn very quickly that you have to have that ID card with you all the time. But even from the very beginning, I remember um, going through basic training, going through the chow hall line, right? You had to have your ID, and you held it up on your face like this, and then um, as your name or your turn came, you um, said whether you were in the National Guard, regular army, enlisted reserve, or whatever, and then said the last four of your Social Security number. And they verified, and then everything was fine. Well, one day, um, you know me, I forgot my ID. I must have done laundry or something, and here I'm standing in the chow line, and I don't have my ID with me. And, boy, you, you don't want to do stuff like that in basic training. I don't think I need to tell you that. I know you've probably never been to basic training, but you don't want to make mistakes. So I faked it. I just kind of held up my hand like this and got up for, you know, it was my turn, and, and I just did the spiel. You know, I was National Guard, gave my nine or my four of my Social Security number and pretended I put it in my pocket, and I got away with it. So I got through the line without those credentials, but... So credentials, um, the word credential is very um, closely related to the word credibility. Um, So now, credentials, we think of opening doors for us, paving the way maybe for an entrance. But um, credibility, on the other hand, is based on your results, not on potential. Credentials can be potential, but uh, credibility is the results of that. Um, One attractive um, thing about Jesus is he had both. He had that credibility, and he had the credentials that went along with it. Um, people then in those days knew him as Joseph's son. Isn't he this carpenter's son, right? But we know him as God's only begotten son. So Jesus' credibility on this earth came from his, the things that he did, from his power and his authority that we have here this morning. Um, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament, telling us about the Messiah, um, he did things that were just crazy when he was here on earth. He walked on water. He calmed a storm. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He died and he rose again. Another thing he did was he taught with power and he taught with authority. Um, last week, even though we talked about the people of Nazareth, were so amazed at his teaching. Um, then they didn't like some of the things he said either, right? He didn't, they didn't like some of the stories that he brought up from their past and they tried to throw him over a cliff, right, and get rid of him. Uh, that's a different story, though. Actually, we told it last week, so um, that's on our YouTube channel. You can check it out there. Remember to like and subscribe, right? So, okay, so after Jesus leaves Nazareth, he goes to the city of Capernaum. Um, that's like walking from here, uh, geographically speaking, walking from here to Appleton. It's a good 50 miles uh, between those two cities. Actually, just for perspective, um, I like to just kind of frame things for us in our minds. So when we're reading some of these things, we get a picture in our head. So I've got a map of kind of the area of Israel um, in, in Jesus' time. You can see right there towards the center, it says Judea. And just above that, it says Jerusalem. So you can see where it says Jerusalem there. Then as you head north, you get the area of Samaria, right? And then you can see the Sea of Galilee that's way towards the top. Okay, so, yeah, Sea of Galilee. So then just below and to the left of that um, is the city of of Nazareth, right? But now Capernaum is right on the sea, right on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. So that's Capernaum. So Jesus went from Nazareth, and he went to Capernaum. Actually, I got a a closer map of that area, how um, Nazareth is compared to Capernaum. Like I said, it's about 50 miles, maybe, 
But anyway, Capernaum is right there on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was a, a very busy town. Um, there's a trade town, a big fishing town. There were a lot of people there and a lot of um, transient people that went there. And so when Jesus got kicked out of Nazareth, basically, they tried to kill him and throw him over a cliff. Um, he went to Capernaum and he basically set up camp there. And the way scripture reads to us, it says that he set up his home in, um, in Capernaum. Okay, so then uh, to pick up where we are this morning, um, by the way, if you haven't ever read the, the chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Luke, it's a very exciting chapter. There's a lot going on in that chapter from the beginning to the end of it. Um, here we pick up in verse 31 today. We pick up right where we left off last week. It says, Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. Galilee's the area. I probably should have showed you that on the map. Galilee's kind of like the, our county, right? And that's the area. So Capernaum is a city uh, of Galilee. And, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So um, Jesus was many things while he was here on this earth. Uh, and it's really difficult to pigeonhole one of them and say, well, that's what he was here to do until we talk about his, his dying and in rising that we're going to talk on Easter, but he was an amazing teacher. Um, some people say above all he was an amazing teacher, an amazing preacher. Um, Matthew, I got some scripture here, I'm just going to fire them at you, not up on the board. Matthew 4.17 says, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 11 says, Jesus began to preach in their cities as well. Uh, Luke 43, so right after what we're talking about here, Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities as well. So there's a reoccurring theme there. There's a reoccurring theme going on. And I like how Jesus says, I must preach the gospel to these cities. Another reoccurring theme is the reaction to the people that heard his words, that heard his preaching, that heard his teaching. Um, Verse 32 says, um, when he went to Capernaum, there too the people were amazed at his teaching. For he spoke with authority. That word amazed means um, shock, astonishment. Literally can't believe their ears at the things he's saying. Um, The crowd in this synagogue and and others always had the same reaction. They were surprised by uh, the power of Jesus' teaching and absolute authority. Um, so, so what does that mean exactly, you know, to teach with that authority? We hear that word a lot, and we, when we talk about it a lot, but what, is that, what did they mean? What were they talking about? Because he was unlike the, the rabbi teachers of his day. Um, the rabbi teachers had kind of what we call schools of thought, and we kind of have that today, too. We have, you have pockets of Lutherans and different kinds of Lutherans, right, different denominations, and we have different, um, like, a Baptists or Methodists, so we would say that there are different schools of thought. Well, they were the same things back in the day. So you would, just like you pick to go to a Lutheran church or a Methodist church or a Catholic church, the same way you would follow different rabbis. And you would hear basically the same thing kind of being regurgitated over and over again because that was that school of thought and they literally didn't want to color outside the lines. So while they were uh, expounding on scripture, they would say, um, they would quote, uh, so-and-so rabbi said this, and so we've approved of that, so we, we quote this guy. Well, Jesus um, came out from a whole different level and a whole different area. So his teaching was powerful. Jesus' teaching uh, was true. Um, it delivered, he delivered it with, with great clarity and, and produced tremendous and, and amazed conviction of these people. That word authority, by the way, can also be translated as the word privilege, now, don't get too far on the other side of that. Privilege, uh, meaning you, that you have access to things, um, like that, uh, that access card I was talking about. Um, Jesus has a privilege um, not accorded to others. I mean, he has the privilege of having access to the complete truth of God. Um, and as I said before, the, the teachers of the law, uh, Mark says it like this in uh, the beginning of Mark. It says, the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, his teaching, for he taught with real authority. 
quite unlike the teachers of religious laws. Again, the teachers of the law could only teach what they had already heard and basically what had already been taught. Um, Jesus taught the words that, that he wrote by himself, right? He's the one that, that wrote scripture before the beginning of time is the way he says it. So again, that, that credibility that Jesus was gaining was based on his results, was based on the results of the things that he was doing. And the hits just keep on coming for him, right? So now there's one thing for certain. Um, where there is um, clearly spoken word of God and it starts to make a difference in people's lives and starts to make a difference in a community, um, there's going to be opposition and there's going to be struggle to that word spoken with clarity and with, with uh, authority and power. And you might be experiencing that, or maybe you've experienced that in your past, you know, that you had to choose between um, your church family and your relationship with people here on this earth. Maybe those things don't always line up. Um, who, maybe somebody who is opposed to either um, the Word of God or where it's being spoken or how it's being spoken, no matter how irrational that, that, um, or unfounded that opposition might be. Now remember, when Jesus spoke with authority and power and people were amazed at it, um, the reaction to that eventually was them trying to throw him over a cliff. You know? And so we pastors think we have a hard time. At least that's not happening here. So he's proclaiming the words of God with power and authority. Proclaiming the words of God with power and authority. Um, so while he's doing that, one of Satan's little minions tries to mess that whole thing up. He tries to change the subject, tries to change the theme. But before we get into um, the details of that, you know, that, um, that Luke, or literally our eyes on the ground reporter, um, the way he commonly tells the thing, let's look again at, at Luke's mission statement. Um, we talked about this several weeks back. Um, Luke 1, right at the beginning of Luke 1, he tells us why he's writing this gospel and what we can find in this gospel. And we should just keep this in mind. So he says, uh, this is Luke speaking. He said, so I made a careful study of everything and then decided to write and tell you exactly what took place on our old Theopolis. Um, he says in verse 4, I have done this to let you know the truth about what you have heard. Literally to tell you that what you have heard is true. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that will help you well, back that up, will give you that credibility to understand and to, and to believe what's happening. So what had they heard? I mean, we can't lose that mission statement either. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the chosen one. That Jesus is the anointed one. That's what we are told. And that's what Luke says. Everything I'm going to tell you is going to point back to that. So now, what does Luke tell us that points back to that? Starting in verse 33, still in chapter 4, Luke 33. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. He said, go away. He's talking to Jesus. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So if this were a movie right now, or a TV show, this is where the music would go, dun, dun, dun. And then we'd cut to commercial and we'd wait to see what happens when we come back. So these demon-like things right here, um, let's just talk about this a little bit in detail before we kind of unpack what we have there. So let's just pull that scripture down for a second here. Um, these demon things are, are angels who followed Satan. Followed Satan literally out of heaven. You believed the lies that Satan was telling and believed in the things he was saying and rebelled against God. Um, what do we know about demons? Not, not a whole lot. We know that they possess intelligence. Um, we know that um, they have physical power, sometimes amazing physical power in some cases. 
Um, but now we, we have to keep this in perspective, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on here for just a couple minutes. Um, C.S. Lewis, who is an excellent author, an excellent writer, was an excellent writer, has this quote here. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, so don't disbelieve their existence. But the other, he says, is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And then he goes on, this is from the screw tape letters, he goes on from that and says that we usually fall into that second category, where we're making too big of a deal, where we're seeing a, 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 a devil and a demon behind everything. Luther said, you know, um, we have to keep it in perspective. He said, sometimes a tree is just a tree, and don't get too caught up in, in the other things that are going on. But the goal of Satan, the goal of his followers, is, is to try to push his lies. And they have one goal, to convince you to follow their lies instead of following God, instead of following God. Satan, though we, we say it, is, uh, is a lying liar who tells lies. That's who he is. Every time he speaks, it's a lie. And for some reason, there are some beings and people who, who believe that and, and support that and, and welcome that. Jesus describes him like this in the book of John. He says, this is a, he says about Satan, Your father is the devil. You are his children, and you want to do what your father wants. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He never stood for the truth, because there's no truth in him. Whenever that liar speaks, he speaks according to his own nature, because he's a liar and the father of lies. The devil's goal is to not just make your life miserable. The devil's goal is to destroy you is to destroy you. We're going to talk about that word in a second here. But like C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters, he says, um, some people dismiss demons uh, because they don't think they exist. Well, you know, Scripture tells us that there, we do have these enemies, right? Others believe that a demon is behind everything. And, and, and then, like I said, uh, C.S. Lewis goes on to say that Satan is pleased either way, if you either make nothing of it or too much of it. So let's keep it in perspective. Back at the beginning of chapter 4 of Luke, like I said, it's a, it's a powerful chapter. There's a lot going on in that chapter. Um, that's where um, Satan has Jesus in, this, in the wilderness, out in the desert, and he's tempting him. So Satan is on the offensive at that moment. Um, but now here at the end, or towards the end of chapter 4, we see that Jesus is on the offensive against Satan's evil forces and casting them out. Now let's, for a moment, as long as we're here, let's take a, a look at and maybe talk about our adversary, old, old Lucifer as we call him, um, and what the Bible tells us about that little guy. Um, first, Satan is not, for, in perspective here, Satan is not the opposite of God. I just want you to think about that for a second. Satan is not the opposite of God. So let me tell you what I mean, um, and then maybe we can get this concept in our head a little bit. Because when you first hear me say that Satan isn't the opposite of God, well, you probably think they have the opposite plan for your life, and that is 100% true. So in that sense, yes, they are opposite. But what I mean is that um, old Lucifer there isn't anywhere close to God's power or to God's existence. He possesses none of the attributes of God. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-present all the time. Satan is none of those things. So he's not anywhere close to, it's not like we have two gods or two competing forces. No, it's here in somewhere down, way down there. 
Satan is, however, on the same level as angels. He is, if we would say, um, try to put him in the category, we would say he is the opposite of the angels that are following God, specifically Michael, um, the archangel. So Satan is the, obviously, in, in 100%, the director or the leader of the fallen angels, um, or the demons as we refer to them. So there's more to that to come, but I think that's a good place to put a bookmark, and next time it's appropriate, we'll, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit deeper. So Jesus is on the offensive. You know, he's attacking. And this creature knows what's coming. Look back at verse 34. It says, Go away. He says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, this is some fun writing right here. Um, Luke writes differently than, I've told you that before, than the other writers. And I think he's got a bit of a sense of humor, too, because when you dig into this a little bit, that um, the, the words that we have translated as go away, right, with an exclamation point. Um, in the English language, we would call that an interjection. Um, you guys remember Schoolhouse Rock? Well, interjection was one of my favorite ones. We should watch a couple of those in here. Interjection is, a, is usually just one word, like, wow, is an interjection. Okay, so this, go away, is a, a Greek equivalent of an interjection. But it's not really a word. It's more of a sound. I should cover my mic when I do this, but it's kind of like the demon is going, ah! He sees Jesus and he freaks out, ah! And then he starts trying to say some things. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And this is the word that I talked about, that this is Satan's plan for you, to destroy you. And so he, the demon asks Jesus, are you here to destroy us? Um, the word destroy literally means to put an end to. It means to put an end to. It's Satan's plan for you. And now this, this, um, this creature is, is asking Jesus if that's his plan for him today. But then, as we're reading, and again, we should just... Take a moment and read Scripture nice and easy and reread it a couple of times because there's so many things that are just right there on the page for us to look at. And sometimes we can just skim right over the top of it and not be able to digest any of it. Because believe it or not, this, this demon, this creature thing, this, this thing says one of the most significant things possible, and he doesn't even know it. He says, I know who you are. He says, you're the Holy One of God. And a good translation, literal translation of that Holy One of God could actually be, you are God. You are the creator of heaven and earth. That's the same, uh, the same idea, the same concept, the same word that we see there. So this, this thing knows who Jesus is. And he freaks out, right? Because he knows that Jesus has the power. He knows that Jesus has the authority. And he already knows about his credibility. He doesn't have to see it to believe it or to know about it. He says, I know who you are. So that's my question for you. Do we know who he is? Look at James 2.19. It says, you believe there's one God. Great, okay. Even the demons believe that and, and shudder or yell, ah, right? But it doesn't change their existence. It doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change how they look at life or anything like that. So do we know who he is? Like the, the others, his fellow demons, this one was forced to acknowledge Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. Not just the name, but the position, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, and the power that comes with that. Now, like I've said before, um, I've never heard a credible historian doubt the existence of Jesus. 
And I'd like to see, and I, I use the word credible. Somebody, anybody can write that says, oh, I don't think Jesus existed. But, you know, does somebody like on the level of C.S. Lewis, for example, write that or say that? There's no historian that's credible that has doubted the existence of Jesus. Okay, so if we take that as our base, then where do we go from there? Right? What do we do from there? The demons don't doubt that there's a Messiah. They don't doubt who Jesus is. They know who he is. Again, it doesn't affect them. It doesn't change anything about them. However, people have confused who Jesus was and his purpose for being here, why he came here. Some of our world's leading authorities have made a big mistake about who Jesus is and why he came here. Take a look at this Gandhi quote for a second. It says, Jesus to me, is a great world teacher, among others. Okay. And, and there's nothing inherently false about that statement, but when we stop there, right, we fall way short of the purpose, the power, and the authority that Jesus brought into this world. Knowing Jesus, even knowing about Jesus in detail, isn't enough. What we have to do is take that next step. We have to acknowledge his authority. We have to acknowledge his power, just like those people in Capernaum did. Just like they did that day. Remember what happened there in verse 36? It says, Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. And then, like it says many places in in, uh, the Gospels, it says, The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Right? The people were not only amazed at Jesus' action or his words, but they were amazed at his actions, the power and the authority that he had. Just speaking with power and authority. Cast out demons, and he controls storms. He raises people from the dead. All those things we talked about earlier. All those credibility statements that Jesus has about his power and about his authority. Now, particularly, the Gospel of Luke is a book of action. Luke's image of Christ is one of great Um, I would say activity, great energy. We can't read Luke, um, especially chapter 4. It's good reading for you this afternoon. Especially chapter 4, we can't read that and think of Jesus as some kind of inactive or think of him as passive in, in any way. It just does not allow that. In Luke, Jesus keeps divine appointments, um, radically affects other people's lives, everyone he came into contact with. In this particular passage that we're working on this morning, uh, we find people marveling at Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. They're marveling at it. They're amazed at it. Jesus did things only God can do, and that amazed everyone. He knew things only God could know and amazed everyone. Even those who were spiritually blind had to know there was something different and special about this carpenter from Nazareth. Relate that to our world right now. Even those who were spiritually blind had to know there was something different and special about that carpenter, like I said, that dude from Nazareth, Joseph's son. My question for you this morning is this, and this is a big one. Have you acknowledged his power and authority? Have you bowed down and accepted his power and authority into your life? Have you welcomed it into your life Have you welcomed his power and authority into your life by asking him into your heart, asking him into your life, and then letting him call the shots in your life? 
we do have two opposites. We have a, an enemy that is, his purpose is to destroy you. But we have another one on the other side of us. We have a God, we have a creator, we have a savior. He says, my plan for you is not to harm, but to, for good and to take care of your future. Amen? Okay, let's stand, please. <clears throat> And let's confess together what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.